Chapter Two of the Invasion by William Lequeux. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Two, Scenes at Waterloo Bridge. The following is the personal narrative of a young chauffeur named John Burgess who assisted in the defense of the barricade at Waterloo Bridge. The statement was made to a reporter at noon on October 5 while he was lying on a mattress in the church of St. Martin's in the fields, so badly wounded in the chest that the surgeons had given him up. He related his story in the form of a farewell letter to his sister. The reporter chanced to be passing, and, hearing him asking for someone to write for him, volunteered to do so. "'We all did our best,' he said, every one of us. Myself, I was at the barricade for thirteen days, thirteen days of semi-starvation, sleeplessness, and constant tension, for we knew not, from one moment to another, when a sudden attack might be made upon us. At first our obstruction was a mere ill-built pile of miscellaneous articles, half of which would not stop bullets. But on the third day our men, superintended by several non-commissioned officers in uniform, began to put the position in a proper state of defense, to mount maxims in the neighboring houses, and to place explosives in the crown of two of the neighboring houses, and to place explosives in the crown of two of the arches of the bridge, so that we could instantly demolish it if necessity arose. Fully a thousand men were holding the position, but unfortunately few of them had ever handled a rifle. As regards myself, I had learned to shoot rocks when a boy in Shropshire, and now that I had obtained a gun I was anxious to try my skill. When the League of Defenders was started and a local secretary came to us we all eagerly joined, each receiving, after he had taken his oath and signed his name, a small silk Union Jack, the badge of the League not to be worn till the word went forth to rise. There came a period, long, dreary, shadeless days of waiting, when the sun beat down upon us mercilessly, and our vigilance was required to be constant both day and night. So uncertain were the movements of the enemy opposite us that we scarcely dared to leave our positions for a moment. Night after night I spent sleeping in a neighboring doorway with an occasional stretch upon somebody's bed in some house in the vicinity. Now and then, whenever we saw Germans moving in Wellington Street, we sent a volley into them, in return receiving a sharp reply from their pom-poms. Constantly our sentries were on the alert along the wharves and in the riverside warehouses, watching for the approach of the enemy's spies and boats. Almost nightly some adventurous spirits among the Germans would try and cross. On one occasion, while doing sentry duty in a warehouse backing on Commercial Road, I was sitting with a comrade at a window overlooking the river. The moon was shining, for the night was a balmy and beautiful one, and all was quiet. It was about two o'clock in the morning, and as we sat smoking our pipes, with our eyes fixed upon the glittering water, we suddenly saw a small boat containing three men stealing slowly along in the shadow. For a moment the rowers rested upon their oars, as if undecided, then pulled forward again in search of a landing place. As they passed below our window I shouted out a challenge. At first there was no response. Again I repeated it when I heard a muttered imprecation in German. "'Spies!' I cried to my comrade, and with one accord we raised our rifles and fired. 
Ere the echo of the first shot had died away, I saw one man fall into the water, while at the next shot a second man half rose from his seat, threw up his hands, and staggered back wounded. The firing gave the alarm at the barricade, and ere the boat could approach the bridge, though the survivor pulled for dear life, a maxim spat forth its red fire, and both boat and oarsmen were literally riddled. Almost every night similar incidents were reported. The enemy were doing all in their power to learn the exact strength of our defenses, but I do not think their efforts were very successful. The surface of the river, every inch of it, was under the careful scrutiny of a thousand watchful eyes. Each day the bulletin of our National Association brought us tidings of what was happening outside. At last, however, the welcome word came to us on the morning of October 4, that at ten that night we were to make a concerted attack upon the Germans. A scarlet bill was thrust into my hand, and as soon as the report was known we were all highly excited and through the day prepared ourselves for the struggle. A gun sounded from the direction of Westminster. We looked at our watches and found it was ten o'clock. Our bugles sounded and we sprang to our positions as we had done dozens, nay, hundreds of times before. I felt faint, for I had only had half a pint of weak soup all day, for the bread did not go round. Nevertheless, the knowledge that we were about to strike the blow inspired me with fresh life and strength. Our officer shouted a brief word of command, and next moment we opened a withering fire upon the enemy's barricade in Wellington Street. In a moment a hundred rifles and several maxims spat their red fire at us, but as usual the bullets flattened themselves harmlessly before us. Then the battery of artillery which Sir Francis Bamford had sent us three days before got into position, and in a few moments began hurling great shells upon the German defenses. Behind us was a great armed multitude ready and eager to get at the foe a huge unorganized body of fierce irate Londoners determined upon having blood for blood. From over the river the sound of battle was rising, a great roaring like the sound of a distant sea, with ever and anon the crackling of rifles and the boom of guns, while above the night sky grew a dark blood-red with the glare of a distant conflagration. For half an hour we pounded away at the barricade in Wellington Street with our siege-guns, maxims, and rifles, until a well-directed shell exploded beneath the center of the obstruction, blowing open a great gap and sending fragments high into the air. Then it seemed that all resistance suddenly ceased. At first we were surprised at this, but on further scrutiny we found that it was not our fire that had routed the enemy, but that they were being attacked in their rear by hosts of armed citizens surging down from Kingsway and the Strand. We could plainly discern that the Germans were fighting for their lives. Into the midst of them we sent one or two shells, but fearing to cause casualties among our own comrades we were compelled to cease firing. The armed crowd behind us, finding that we were again inactive, at once demanded that our barricade should be opened so that they might cross the bridge and assist their comrades by taking the Germans in the rear. For ten minutes our officer in charge refused, for the order of General Gatoritz, commander-in-chief of the League, was that no sortie was to be made at present. However, the South Londoners became so infuriated that our commander was absolutely forced to give way, though he knew not into what trap we might fall, as he had no idea of the strength of the enemy in the neighborhood of the Strand. A way was quickly opened in the obstruction, 
and two minutes later we were pouring across Waterloo Bridge in thousands, shouting and yelling in triumph as we passed the ruins of the enemy's barricade, and fell upon him with merciless revenge. With us were many women who were perhaps fiercer and more unrelenting than the men. Indeed, many a woman that night killed a German with her own hands, firing revolvers in their faces, striking with knives, and even blinding them with vitriol. The scene was both exciting and ghastly. At the spot where I first fought, on the pavement outside the Savoy, we simply slaughtered the Germans in cold blood. Men cried for mercy, but we gave them no quarter. London had risen in its might, and as our comrades fought all along the Strand and around Alwich, we gradually exterminated every man in German uniform. Soon the roadways of the Strand, Wellington Street, Aldwych, Burley Street, Southampton Street, Bedford Street, and right along to Trafalgar Square were covered with dead and dying. The wounded of both nationalities were trodden underfoot and killed by the swaying, struggling thousands. The enemy's loss must have been severe in our particular quarter, for of the great body of men from Hamburg and Lübeck holding their end of Waterloo Bridge, I do not believe a single one was spared, even though they fought for their lives like veritable devils. Our success intoxicated us, I think. That we were victorious at that point cannot be doubted, but with foolish disregard for our own safety we pressed forward into Trafalgar Square in the belief that our comrades were similarly making an attack upon the enemy there. The error was, alas, a fatal one for many of us. To fight an organized force in narrow streets is one thing, but to meet him in a large open space with many inlets, like Trafalgar Square, is another. The enemy were no doubt awaiting us, for as we poured out from the strand at Charing Cross, we were met with a devastating fire from German Maxims on the opposite side of the square. They were holding Whitehall to protect von Kronhelm's headquarters, the entrances to Spring Gardens, Cockspur Street, and Pall Mall East, and their fire was converged upon the great armed multitude which, being pressed on from behind, came out into the open square only to fall in heaps beneath the sweeping hail of German lead. The error was one that could not be rectified. We all saw it when too late. There was no turning back now. I struggled to get into the small side street that runs down by the bar of the Grand Hotel, but it was blocked with people already in refuge there. Another instant and I was lifted from my legs by the great throng going to their doom and carried right in the forefront to the square. Women screamed when they found themselves facing the enemy's fire. The scene was awful, a massacre, nothing more or less, for every German's life we had taken, a dozen of our own were now being sacrificed. A woman was pushed close to me, her gray hair streaming down her back, her eyes starting wildly from her head, her bony hands smeared with blood. Suddenly she realized that right before her red fire was spitting from the German guns. Screaming in despair, she clung frantically to me. I felt next second a sharp burning pain in my chest. We fell forward together upon the bodies of our comrades. When I came to myself, I found myself here in this church, close to where I fell. On that same night, Desperate sorties were made from the London, Southwark, and Blackfriars bridges, and terrible havoc was committed by the defenders. The German losses were enormous, for the South Londoners fought like demons and gave no quarter. End of chapter 2 Recording by 
Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com.